Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we are discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 3, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. I just want to say we're recording on the weekend of 24 June and the news about Prodigy's cancellation has just dropped and... This will be old news by the time anyone hears it. There might be new news about the salvation of Star Trek Prodigy. But I just want to register that I am sad and angry. I love Prodigy. I think it's the best new Star Mm. Trek. So. Yeah. 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 It was already the underdog. It was already the Mm. stepsister of the rest of them. And it's just sad. I, so I just want to say it's beautiful. Like it's art. The stories are amazing. But if you just shut off <laughs> everything and just watch it, it's stunningly beautiful just that way. So if you're a new listener, because I noticed we do seem to be going up in numbers a bit. If you're a new listener, we really rate Star Trek Prodigy. I personally think it's the best Trek since DS9. And I say that as a person whose actual favourite Trek of the era is Voyager. But I just think Prodigy is objectively good and also has a lot of heart. And if you haven't watched it for any reason... Good luck! Yeah, look, I'm sure it will be available through illicit sources. I certainly don't endorse that sort of thing or have a well-stopped media centre of my own. Let's talk about the La'an and Jim show. Yes, (laughs) I'm so excited. I loved this episode Mm. so much. I was scared going into season two that La'an, who I loved from the cast announcement where we got her name, I was like, oh, that's my character. (laughs) that someone made for me and I really enjoyed her season one beginnings and her introduction and how you know I could see where she was going to be this great character and the trailer really scared me (laughs) and I was just terrified Mm. that she was going to get shoved into the La'an and Jim show and it was going to be all downhill from there And she was going to turn into some other completely terrible character that I didn't care about. (laughs) And it is the reverse of that. It is the exact opposite. She made Jim Kirk better. Yes. And it was all about her. She was the driving force. She got the arc. Yeah. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And everything about this episode was just so rewarding. I had so much fun watching this episode. I kept thinking, can this be? Strange New Worlds has three good episodes in a row? This is unprecedented. I know it's only the second season. This is unprecedented. Yeah, I feel like the show is really focusing on La'an this season. She played a big role last week. She plays a big role now. I have seen next week's episode and she is very present in that. I think this is a really exciting development. I I saw a review of season two which described Ortegas as the only character who is not in some way a legacy character. And that's true, and she suffers for Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But La'an, her only connection with the past, with established canon, is her name and allusions we've had to her ambiguous feelings about genetic augmentation and, you know, 
the whole genocidal dictator thing. It's like turning up to work being like, hi, I'm Elaine Hitler. They're doing new and interesting things with yeah. Khan Noonienson is the actual mm. story here. And I mean, clearly she is an important character this season. Clearly the augment storyline is not going away. We're going to continue having these questions. And I love, you know, I said when she was first introduced and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. It's like mm -hmm. my Omega in The Bad Batch and you know, Sylvie and Loki and like the, let's take this villainous character that everyone loves and turn it into a cute little girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's for me. Thank you. <laughs> but the reason that that's interesting to me is that it's taking something that you think you know, everything that's necessary mm. to know about and turning it on its head. And, and, you know, it's the, my little ponyification of top 10 villains of the world and like that's just incredible to me i love that you say this and from another person it might be an insult or something dismissive no. and you're like no that's what it is and i'm completely in favor <laughs> and it's great <laughs> and they should keep doing it yes i really enjoyed how this did not even pretend to be an ensemble piece it was no. La'an. We saw glimpses of some AU versions of our characters and then there's a scene at the end where they're present. And mm -hmm. other than that, it's La'an and Jim. And mm -hmm. I do have to say, I don't think Paul Wesley is the right choice for Kirk, but introducing him through two different alternate universes I think is a really smart way of easing us into this new take on the character. Yes, it ends up being clever. I didn't care for him at all in Equality of Mercy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't care for that episode at all. But he was charming. He was charming and recognizably Kirk yes. to me in the, in this episode. Because I'm re-watching TOS, one thing that's jumping out at me is that Kirk is what they want Pike to be. He is non-toxic masculinity. And it's a very dated version of that, obviously. But at least in season one, he's not the raving sex hound and unrelenting flirt that I think he's remembered as from the movies and potentially later seasons. And I think... Wesley does feel like a new take on the same character. At one point I wrote down, imagine if anyone writing Strange New Worlds had watched an episode of the original series. But I actually think that's unfair because this is a version of Kirk from a sadder and more militaristic timeline. And as the episode unfolds, you see how desperately he would like to be the humanist explorer rather than the soldier. Right. These time travel stories are always so sad mm. because in fixing something you are destroying the other side you're destroying what that mistake created yes and he says that he's like well what about my life yeah <laughs> but he comes around pretty quickly to the idea that actually, no, wait, your universe is better. And I would rather see that survive than, mm. you know, stand up for my terrible one. 
so he's he's just this really tragic said you know we don't get to keep him where mm-hmm. we were never going to be allowed to keep him even i mean we lost him horribly but we were never going to get to keep him and he has that yearning to yes be the kirk that mm-hmm. we know and love and so that just makes it even sadder there's layers of sadness <laughs> You know, he's only in this one episode, and that's it. That's all we get. And La'an will remember him. And we end with La'an grieving and crying, and I was so happy. Because this is a fairly familiar episode. It's time and again mashed up with a lot of Enterprise. And that's not a criticism, save that I do think Strange New Worlds too often revisits Star Trek's wells. But none of those episodes give the time traveller space for catharsis and grief and that's something that strange new worlds gives la'an and i'm really pleased about it we needed that scene she needed that scene that scene was amazing it was heartbreaking and especially because la'an is so reserved yes she has a lot in common with spock Mm. and heartbreaking scene right before the kiss where she's saying that people are hard for her that she she Mm. doesn't connect easily and to finally have someone that she connected to quickly, easily, mm. you know, the scene where she's watching him sleep. <laughs> what? What? What are you doing to my heart? And that's like 15 minutes into the episode, like not even. And it's just so, you know, they already have this connection that mm. is partly because of the circumstances you know they're the only ones who know that something's wrong and are in this weird position of we have to do something Mm -hmm. but it it, i i love the grieving scene and i will say that they focus on the watch at the end does suggest that there he he could come back for another (laughs) episode but that's not what the timeline wants certainly Mm -hmm. or the time cops I think it's interesting that we see this yearning in Jim, but we also see from the very first scene this yearning in La'an that she sarcastically refers to all the friends she's made as chief of security. And she's very good at her job, and I don't think she is in any way unreasonable in the execution of her duties. But she would like the easy connection that comes with someone who doesn't know her and has never heard of her family. Yes. And she's never going to get that in this timeline. But you just mentioned that La'an is very much like Spock, and I had a really terrible thought. What if this is like the Strange New World's nod at the Kirk-Spock relationship? They've just made it hit. I mean, don't give people ideas. (laughs) (laughs) This episode hasn't aired Mm. on Paramount Plus yet and people are already boycotting it so Mm. I went into this episode not excited at all for it I said a few weeks ago anytime I see Kirk and La'an interact I just want to share that Demi Lovato tweet get a job stay away from her and I'm still kind of on that fence like as with Spock Chapel you're talking me around to shipping it whereas I was very, very reluctantly shipping it in this instance only before. People who are alone in the universe and then they find 
someone so that they're not alone anymore. And that it describes both Spock Chapel and Kirk mm. Lahn. And Kirk's Bach. Yes. <laughs> Again, people are allowed to have more than one relationship. Mm. I just feel like with Kirk, it's not going to work out because soon he's going to meet his one true love through his entire life, the USS Enterprise. The Enterprise. <laughs> exactly. Mm. But as we were saying with Spock and Chapel, there is no reason to say that they cannot have this incredibly meaningful relationship that doesn't last. Some relationships don't last and that's okay. And maybe Kirk is important to La'an in a way that she's not important to him, but she needs someone to touch her life that way. She needs this connection to enable her to make future connections down the road. He's a starter boyfriend. I'm going to go to bat for the Kelvin verse again. <laughs> yes. So, again, I don't ship Kirk and Spock, you know, to any real mm. level. But I firmly believe that in Kelvin verse, Kirk is in love with Spock. Mm. But he's comfortable and happy and accepting of being Spock's platonic soulmate best friend. Right. And not interfering in Spock and Uhura's relationship. Although I also owe two three for Obviously. You know, forever. My reasoning for this is that Kirk gets to mind meld with our Spock, with mm. with Prime Spock. And see the relationship that Prime Spock had with Prime Kirk for his entire life because at that point like Kirk's gone and so mm. it's like prime Spock can share with Kelvin Kirk the entirety of the Kirk-Spock relationship which is the one that you know everybody is up in arms about being erased and he changes like when he comes back from that planet he looks at Spock differently mm. and it, it's not because he you know just accepts the relationship, it's that he has seen it. He has yeah. seen that that relationship exists and it could exist. And this Spock could be his Spock. And that Jim didn't have his dad, didn't have the relationship with his brother that Prime Kirk did, mm. is a loner, didn't even really have Starfleet mm. in the way that Prime Kirk does. And he wants his platonic soulmate best friend. <laughs> And he's provided it in mm. in this other universe. And that's so interesting to me. That is looking at the relationships between Prime Kirk and Spock and Kelvin Kirk and Spock at the same time in parallel. And they're the same but different. And that is my favorite thing. And so I'm fine with La'an and Prime Kirk not even having, like, you know, they can have that little coffee date where he tells embarrassing mm. stories about his brother and it's not going to be the same for her and it's not going to be enough for her but it's also she gets to keep the memory of the Kirk that she knew and be happy that this Kirk is living his best life too yeah and that's enough for me no I think that's a really good read on their relationship I do have to say that in his final scene on the pad, Wesley Kirk really seemed more like canon 
prime universe Shatner Kirk than in mm-hmm. any other instance. And obviously that's a deliberately limited glimpse, but it is promising. And I think that, like you said, I think they did this in a very clever way mm. to introduce here's the idea of Kirk mm-hmm. before we get to actual Kirk. And then you're sort of primed to read this one as, oh, well, okay, well, this is the real one, so let's be looking at it in a a different way. Yes. I am definitely going to make jokes about how this episode introduces a brand new character who happens to share the name of an iconic TOS character, but I am also willing to be convinced, which I was not at the end of season one. So well done, the writers, well done, Paul Wesley, and really well done, Christina Chong, who has tremendous chemistry with Paul Wesley and everyone really but if their chemistry had not worked this episode would have failed and I don't think we would have bought Kirk as Kirk if she had not believed in him. Right they are such a a great little duo I love their little comic bits Mm. I love their completely silent midnight not actually looking at each other, but looking at each other (laughs) in their beautiful palatial Mm. hotel room that absolutely is not available to someone who is hustling chess people on the street. But I'll just, I'll let that go. It's mine. Let's pretend that while (laughs) Kirk was hustling for chess, La'an was picking pockets. Yeah, that makes way more sense to me. And she just let him believe yeah that that what he did was enough he got the cash she got a credit card or two but then the car scene (laughs) oh my goodness i was like this is the least inconspicuous car in the world but then i thought of 2009 star trek and little jim kirk stealing his stepfather's hot rod and i was like oh it makes perfect sense It was amazing. I loved that car. I loved that he was completely incapable of driving in any way that was in- inconspicuous. It's not in his DNA. He can't do it. No, it was, no. It was, it was amazing. And also, not to keep pointing this out, but the scene was very similar to Raffi and Seven's car mm. chase scene, but... Lan and Jim had a little, they, they really sold the couple bit. Yeah. Like, Like, that was a choice that Star Trek Picard made to not make Rafi and Seven feel like a couple who liked each other. Whereas, you know, Laan and Jim don't even know each other and they have a rapport and that is a choice. It is a choice by writers. Anyway. I was going to say, apropos the bright red car and little Jim Kirk in AOS Star Trek, because the audience has at last accepted Chris Pine as James Kirk, I think linking Paul Wesley's character to that version of Kirk as well is another thread that quietly makes the audience go, oh yes, this is Jim Kirk. Right. I completely agree. And also, there are... Star Trek fans who started watching with 2009. Right. I also appreciate that Strange New Worlds is not in any way like dismissing 
mm. that mm. reality. Like, obviously, that is a separate universe, mm. but they're keeping the aesthetics. And I appreciate that. Because, mm. again, having the parallels and the similarities and being able to point out, like, this is what makes a Jim Kirk a Jim Kirk. Mm. That has to be in every timeline. And that's, honestly, that's what was missing in Equality of Mercy. Like, right. that guy had nothing in common with any Jim Kirk. Right, and that was maybe what the episode needed. But why would you introduce this character who is completely unrecognisable as the guy he's supposed to be? I have gone from being a profound sceptic of Paul Wesley's Kirk to being prepared to like him. And, you know, that's a big step. Well done on this episode, which I so enjoyed, except for two things. It was over an hour. It was like one hour, one minute. The car yes. chase did not need to be that long. And there is a geographic diversion that we'll get to that I don't think was necessary to the plot. It was fan service and I loved it, but I don't think we needed it. Anyway, let's talk about how we were right about secret Romulans. Yes! I was so excited. <laughs> First of all, I love every secret Romulan. Yes. So bring on all of the secret Romulans. But... This one, the way that this one was done was amazing. Mm. She was such a Romulan, but also a little bit crazy. Yes. And, you know, tired of being a Romulan on Earth. It's got to be terrible. I enjoyed how she was dealing in conspiracy theories and building mistrust because that is like the basis of Romulan society. It's like, Peak. yes. Romulan. Yes. She has her mission, but she's also very homesick. And if she can make some humans very paranoid, that just means she just feels like she's a little bit at home. I love everything <laughs> about her. I like that the Romulans have built a supercomputer to tell them what to do. Which has <laughs> never gone badly for anyone in Star Trek. I mean, that's a sci-fi crutch mm. that I love. <laughs> it's bringing on the the whole AI fear mm. in a different light. <laughs> it's like they're afraid of Soji's hippie robots because <laughs> they're used to Skynet. It reminded me of Person of Interest, and I was just imagining mm. like the Romulan version of Person of Interest, and that's great. I was thinking, no. oh, the Romulans of this era also have a control. That's not going to go badly for anyone. Somewhere out there is a female Romulan admiral who just had like a cold chill run down her spine. It's just like we're going to let the algorithm mm. dictate what to do. And that she's like a true believer in it because, she, she, again, she has lost the plot. She is like, I am tired of these incremental things like blowing up an entire bridge. That's not good enough. <laughs> I really enjoyed the implication that there has been so much messing around with this point in time and the eugenics wars that they were meant to happen in 1992 and now they've been pushed back. I think... Yes. That is such a clever way of nodding at the canonical what's-its. In Doctor Who canon, there 
was a whole section of the series which may have taken place in the 1970s or the 1980s or the 1990s. It's called the unit dating crisis. It's also in Terminator mythology. Oh, that, yeah. That Judgment Day can change mm. <laughs> based on what the time travelers do. So yeah, it's playing with these time travel tropes, mm. which is always fun. I'm so happy that we got an actual secret Romulan. <laughs> it goes in line with your theme of the season of aliens hiding on Earth. Yes. And I love that we know canonically the Vulcans are watching. Yes. Right now, they're like watching and 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 judging Earth and trying to decide if they're going to be, you know, it's going to be acceptable to talk to these backwards, terrible people. And so while the Vulcans are watching from afar mm. and making their obnoxious Vulcan judgments, the Romulans are down on the planet, <laughs> literally manipulating reality. Like, that is so good. And in fact, some of the terrible things the Vulcans are judging are probably caused by Romulans. I love it's it. so I good. Obviously, we are humans and we are perfectly capable of being terrible all on our own, but Romulans. And I do like the idea of, like, an undercover Vulcan and an undercover Romulan pretending to be human and then falling in love. And not knowing. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but... And so they're like, oh, I'm in love with you, but I can't, you know, we can't do anything about it because I'm secretly an alien, but also you're also secretly an alien. Mm. And then they have to try and kill each other. The rom-com we deserve. The Romulan-com. The Romulan-com. <laughs> if I wrote, like, pure OC fic with just original characters, I would write that. But I don't. I it. It's so good. <laughs> oh my goodness. I also want to say, do we know exactly which year Jim and La'an landed in? It looked like 2023, but... Yeah, so she says 1992 was 30 years ago, which mm. would make it, yes. Yeah. Okay. 2023. So <laughs> we have Sarah the Secret Romulan in Toronto. We have Talon in Los Angeles. We have Guinan. We have Pelia. Like, there are a lot of aliens on Earth. Okay. Now I'm going to, I mean, clearly Paramount Plus doesn't want to make new shows, but Paramount Plus, have you seen Legends of Tomorrow? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I think you have half the cast already. Mm. You're good. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they just need a male cast member. Oh, I know. How about Will Wheaton? That's right. And we, and we can bring back Core. See, it looks yeah. like that's a whole cast. It's, it's ready. It's right there ready for you. Yeah. Make it so. They're, they're not gonna. Like, it's not just that they don't have our phone numbers. They're just not gonna make. Anyway. <sighs> Are we ready to talk about baby Carnoonian Singh? Yes. Yes, <laughs> we are. So I am proud of them for going there. I honestly was genuinely afraid that Benedict Cumberbatch was about to walk out. Such were the AOS vibes. And then I thought of something <laughs> even worse. Brent Spiner. Right, because the, that's the, like, I'm, I am, this, this season is ending with Brent Spiner. <laughs> so let's just, 
Let's just assume it at this point. Well, this season is ending with Brent Spiner. I hate like, that I think you're right. <laughs> That's where we're going towards. I I don't want it, but the writing is on the wall. Mm-hmm. But he was not in this episode. Benedict Cumberbatch was not in this episode. They had an actual South Asian person playing cards. What? I didn't think what that is was <laughs> he has an actual I, I i it's it's shocking to mm-hmm. me it's shocking and that kid was good yes he played you know like stranger things terrified child really mm-hmm. well yeah <laughs> and again i love any time you take a mass murderer and you say but look baby yeah yeah <laughs> and it was smart to put him in a in a, a Stranger Things black site because then you realize that he was manipulated his entire life. Probably by Sung. Probably by Sung. Like, the worst father figure and scientist <laughs> and person in the history of the Star Trek universe. I know we're talking about them as if they're all one guy, but... They are. I mean, they basically all have the same personality. And given that in 2024, What's-His-Face Sung is handling the eugenics Khan folder. Exactly. Clearly he has something to do with this child, who, for all we know, could be another Kore. Okay. So, I'm sorry. I'm really mad that now I want to go and have a quick look at season two of Picard again. <laughs> How dare they? It's coming. It's coming. You know, they always said it's all connected and apparently it's all connected. I am a little concerned now that I've said all this, that we are building up to some sort of Star Trek colon eugenics wars with Brent Spiner playing the villain. I'm not opposed to the concept except for the Brent Spiner of it all. I just, well, I don't think they're going to be making more Star Trek, but also I kind of like that this is an era of time that we only see in glimpses and often contradictory glimpses. Like, I've gotten back on my Roman history bullshit and so much of our understanding of history is from sources that totally contradict each other. And so I like the idea that this particular point in time is just in many ways mysterious to the Mm. people of the future, that Kurt can't tell the difference between New York and Toronto. Yeah, which is great. great. That's great. Yeah, I mean, okay, so just on on one thing, if they don't want us to think that it's one song, Mm. then Brent Spiner can't play all of them. Right. That's just the way it is. And he can't (laughs) play them all the same way. The same way. And also, it's not like they haven't introduced the idea of Sung having extra bodies that are just like mm. random mm. lying around so that he can just, you know, put his consciousness in there. If you want to keep it in the family, just pad it out with more Issa Briones. Bring her dad in. Bring in John John Briones. He was great as the husband of Annika Hansen, again in season two of Picard. You know, he can do more. Make that guy a Sung. Yeah, I like that idea. Instead of relying on one guy and one woman that we'll discard when she's inconvenient, just create a company of Sungs. 
And so back to Baby Khan. Mm. I love that it's the crazy Romulan who wants to murder him. Yes. And La'an, who's lived her entire life under his shadow mm. and and shunning the very idea of this mm. person who has to save him and not only saves him, but is compassionate. Yes. Towards him. That scene is so powerful. Mm. Because it shows, like, there's my utopia, Star Trek. Yeah, like, yeah. The fact that she doesn't hesitate to put the gun down and say, hey, kid, mm. I'm sorry your life is going to be horrible, mm. but you're safe for right now. And I care mm. that you're okay. Because this is Strange New Worlds, I was not entirely sure that they were not going to kill the tiny South Asian boy. And... <laughs> For La'an to treat him with compassion, I think, is so important. Like, yes, let's kill Hitler, as the Doctor Who title goes. But if you're faced with a little boy, like, how many people is he going to go on to not kill because one woman showed him kindness when he was scared? Wait. And that's not to say that the eugenics wars are okay, but I think... They seem to be a fixed point in human history that Star Trek can and can't just erase. And so all we as time travellers can do is mitigate the damage. And part of doing that is being kind to that little boy. Right. It's my Seska argument again that Mm. if all you've ever experienced is being told that you are better than everyone, that your superiority is in your blood and in you were created to take Mm. over the world Mm. and subjugate everyone else and make them all better the way that you're better. If that's how you were raised and La'an is the only person who wasn't like that, Mm. then how does he not become who he becomes? Right, right. I think the Hitler comparison is overdone. It's almost facetious and it's almost offensive to the very real victims of the Holocaust and World War II. So let's put that aside and focus on Noonie and Singh as a fictional character and a guy who, you know, we see in Wrath of Khan that he is dangerous, he is obsessive, he is manipulative, but he's also a person and part of what makes Wrath of Khan such a good film and Space Seed such a good episode is that he is he does have this core of decency he can be reasoned with and ultimately right. in the film it's realizing that his obsession has destroyed everyone around him that makes him pull back and enables kirk to you know kill him but also i haven't seen wrath of khan for a few years i might have forgotten the ending someone dies all of khan's followers dies so he sets the genesis torpedo to blow knowing that it will kill him but it will also kill the enterprise yeah okay because he has nothing left to live for yeah yeah and and so like la'an he is a character who craves connection you see it like let's let's revisit space seed and his seduction of of what's her face the ship's historian in that context oh no Mm. okay i don't want to be forced to watch space seed i'm sorry I do not like that episode, no. but now I am curious because I, you're right. If yeah. we, if we're saying that 
I mean, yeah, I, and I like this idea of that's, I, I, that's very, I'm going to do it. I think we should definitely pencil in a spacey deep dive for after Strange New Worlds is done. Uh, well. I think I think that would be interesting. And I think it's interesting that we have La'an and Jack Crusher as characters who crave connection with people. Yes. And they get that from the villains. Again, yes. this is important to me. It is important mm. for people to understand mm. that, uh, according to Star Trek, a key part of villainy is not being able to connect with people. And by mm. showing compassion to villains, this is how Luke saves Vader. Mm-hmm. This goes down to core Annika beliefs <laughs> <laughs> that we have to show compassion in the face of villainy. Obviously, punch all the Nazis you want. Oh, yeah. But once someone stops being a Nazi and is trying to do better, like, yes, hold them accountable, but also make room for their improvement. I think that's actually really, really hard. And then, like, there's your note here, progress requires trauma, which I do think is part of that. And it's part of how Earth, quote-unquote, needs the eugenics wars in order to become the utopia. It is a firm belief Hmm. of all science fiction Yeah, that you have to have a dark ages before you get to the utopia. Hmm. And I think because it's 2023 and it's been a really rough few years, I think that's an idea that really resonates, that the trauma that we've endured as a planet will Mm -hmm. lead to something better. It feels a little Christian. And I have to say, I sometimes see Trekkies going, it's okay, it's okay, we just need to get through this before the Vulcans come. And you say it like 80% joking. I think some people mean it sincerely. And I'm like, you guys sound like you're waiting for the rapture. Yeah. So first of all, I would like to point out that we're already in the Dark Ages. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And the Dark Ages are slow. And it's not going to be one big eugenics war that that destroys everything. And there's not going to be a nuclear blast that kills off half the population. And then we're going to, like, figure out that we need to get better. Mm. I don't don't think that's going to happen. No. And it kind of bugs me that so many Trekkies believe that is necessary. I understand it's part of the canon, but it kind of almost gets into a sort of (laughs) eco-fascist, we need to wipe out half the population to save the planet thing. Spoilers for across the Spider-Verse. Yes. Spoilers for the new Spider-Verse. You do not have to have a traumatic event in your life in order to be a good person who does good things and saves people. Mm. And these are related concepts. There is the individual version in Spider-Man, and then there is the universalized version in science fiction slash Star Trek. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, I agree with you that it is, you want your suffering to have meaning. Yeah. And so if you become a better person because of your suffering, or if you get to a better timeline because of suffering, Mm. then it means something. But it's another crutch. If you are waiting for the bad thing to happen, so that you turn into a good person (laughs) instead of just making the choice Mm -hmm. to be a good person then 
you're not a good person. <laughs> you're making excuses for it, it's. You're making excuses for why you're not a good person right now. Right. You're making excuses for not trying to fix things now. And it is hard. I don't have any answers. I, don't, I can't fix climate change. I don't know how to do it. So I understand why we get so caught up in this. Mm. But, you know, I watched King of Staten Island for my class on the portrayal of mental illness in film. Mm. And I'd never seen that film before. I knew nothing about Pete Davidson except for like the long list of people that he's dated. And it was a beautiful film that was also all about compassion and kindness in the face of adversity. Mm. And his life is not all figured out by the end. He doesn't, you know, get better. Mm. He learns to live with everything. And he learns that he is worth having that life. He gains self-esteem and self-confidence. But he has this line towards the end where he says, it's really hard and it's always going to be hard, but I'm trying. Mm. And that to me is, first of all, a beautiful portrayal of mental illness. That's exactly what it mm. is. But it's also like can be universalized to life in general mm. that the point is the trying, <laughs> whether it's easy or hard right now, the point is to keep going. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a really cool segue to get us back on Tomic and I, I... I'm so sorry. I, I, no, I brought no. up like four different other <laughs> phantoms to make my point. I apologize. I just, it feels related to me. No, because, no. you know, Laon's arc is sort of this idea of it's really hard all the time. Mm. And mm. she realizes that it was easy with Kirk and it's sad that she lost that, but maybe she can try. Maybe she can mm. find that in something that's a little bit harder. Maybe if she, you know, reaches out to more of her shipmates. I think that's it. I think that's And giving it. them a chance. Yeah. 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 Giving herself a chance. Yes. Yes. Can we talk about Pelia? Because I love her and I'm so delighted that our Pelia through the ages thing is canon. I just don't know that we needed to go to Vermont. Like, you guys have a time limit and I checked Toronto to Vermont is 7 to 10 hours by car or 18 plus hours by train. And since they arrived at her shop by taxi. By taxi? They, yeah. Like... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I hope they took a train and they didn't take it in time. Again, where are they getting this $15,000 worth of, of travel funds right, right. for all of this? And yes, especially since they said that they went to a bunch of universities first. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't like going to them and she was like, they were calling them up and everything, but it was still like they had a, a bunch of research. Then they went yeah. to an Apple store. Which delighted me, truly. <laughs> the guy at the Apple store taught me how to use DuckDuckGo is the greatest sentence ever to come from James T. Kirk's mouth. 
And then all that they learn is that a diver's watch will get them the information they need if they wander aimlessly around downtown Toronto. Because then, right, and then they go back. (laughs) Back Mm, to Toronto. mm, mm. Like, this for me was the weak part of the episode. I think on a character level, Pelia in the past is amazing. I just think all they needed was their own brains and an antique shop somewhere in Toronto. Also, Pelia could just be in Toronto. Right, right. Or somewhere outside of Toronto in the general Ontario area. Put her in London or Stratford, you know, a place that is feasible to get to within a couple of hours. They don't have ID. How did they cross the border? They bribed a border guard. You know, the famously bribable US Homeland Security guys. And I have done that border crossing. I have done that exact border crossing. And I did smuggle a Kinder Surprise into the United States. But I mean, I've done it. And all I needed was my driver's license. But I still needed my driver's license. Right. And like, yeah, okay, bribe. In 2022? And on the way back, the Canadian border guards. And (laughs) right. No disrespect to. Homeland Security, but going into Canada at Windsor, I found the Canadian border guards were much stricter than the American ones coming back the other way. It was just weird. They don't need to go to Vermont. She could just have her. It's called the archaeology department. It could be archaeology department anywhere. Right. She could have said she had a bunker in Ontario and that would have been nothing needed to change. And if you wanted it to be like off the beaten path, fine. Just still keep it in Canada. Keep it in the general vicinity. Like yeah, a yeah. six hour drive. Yeah. I'm not an expert, but I understand Ontario is a very large province. <laughs> Why don't they drive their red car? And it's nothing, none of this matters. None of this matters. It's not important. It was just silly. I loved that Helio was not an engineer. Yes. And that she didn't mom... have secret tech. Mm. She didn't build the secret tech. It was all good. All of that was good. If I was immortal, an immortal alien living on Earth, I would be Pelia. <laughs> I would have my stuff and my weird little yeah. shop and my day drinking. It would be great. The immortal has an antique shop is like, that. that's a trope. That's in Forever. That's in Highlander. Mm. So, like, I love that they were... But she's not... She's helpful by accident. Like, she's Mm. not actually Mm. helpful. And again, she is an alien. They know that she's an alien Mm. from a long-lived, I'm going to guess, super technological race. But she doesn't have any of that because that's not her thing. She's just chilling out on Earth having fun. I mean, we don't even know that her people are technologically advanced. They might have come to Earth thousands of years ago as refugees or something and, and lost and just everything. Stayed. And stayed yeah. there. Yeah. Aww. So it's not like Eternals where they do have access to their cool alien technology. They're just like, well, we're Bronze Ages now. Hey, check out this <laughs> copper merchant. <laughs> That's the vibe I get from Pelia, and I love it. It is such an inversion of the immortal cliches. Exactly. Just geographic. And also, she's kind of a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. in the future, I mean, she's getting dressed down by Pike and, and Una. Mm-hmm. 
that's great. And they're, they're like, you can't. She's like, I stole, I stole it from these, these people centuries ago. It doesn't matter anymore. Accurate. Yes. Pelia continues to be me. I am a person who borrows things <laughs> and then forgets that they weren't mine to begin with. Sorry <laughs> to the guy who owns the book that I can see very clearly on my shelf behind me who I haven't spoken to for 20 years. Oops. Anyway, I really loved that scene. I just think it was self-indulgent in an overlong episode and also broke my suspension of disbelief because of the whole geography of it all. I'm never gonna... I loved the chess scene, mm. but there is no way they got enough money to do all the things they do in this episode. No. With that. Look, La'an has like three black Amexes now. That's a good headcanon and I, I, will, I will go with it. Yeah. Mm. And I don't want to add scenes because you're right that it was long. Yeah. I did enjoy the scene where they're they get into their earth clothes mm. uh, and then like just throw their uniforms in the trash, which sure you're not does. supposed to do that Starfleet, but okay. <laughs> it reminded me of National Treasure, which is always <laughs> a good thing. So I enjoyed that. And also the time traveler or alien going through the makeover to be human is, right. it's a classic for a reason. I loved yeah. it. And, and time and again, which, you know, time and again, the only thing wrong with that episode is that it doesn't happen. Mm. <laughs> and and they don't, no one remembers it. And that makes me sad every time. That episode is why I'm doing photo caps. That episode is why I shift Janeway Paris. Mm. That episode is great. I definitely think that if you're going to revisit established Star Trek stories, the often overlooked third episode of Voyager is not the worst place you can go. That's right. And the only thing that tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow was missing was some incredibly unflattering candy corn coloured outfits. <laughs> I loved that when they first got dressed, they were wearing the same outfit. Mm. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, I'll change. And he, he takes off all his clothes. Like he, he takes off his shirt, but then he puts everything back on the same except for the jacket. Like. He didn't actually change any of the other clothes. So all of that was great. He was like, I'm just taking off my shirt so that she can check me out. That's the only yeah. reason. And like, that is pure Kirk. I, a plus good. And <laughs> the AOS thing comes into it again. Because right. Kirk in those movies problematically is often checking women out when they are in a state of undress. And yet here we have La'an consensually, basically, checking him out and, and so it's another thread but in a better way consent right. is important guys where is katrina cornwell right now katrina cornwell is also in vermont <laughs> one of those time agents showed up mm -hmm. right when the torpedo was gonna hit and said hey touch this button and she did and so now she is a time agent but she has a nice little like because the time agents are allowed to choose one time where they get to stay. Yeah. And so she's chilling out in Vermont mm -hmm. where she has a cute little cabin and that's where she goes to rest and relax. Mm -hmm. And she is yet another person who is not really <laughs> supposed to be here mm -hmm. hiding and pretending to be there. 
I love that. I love this for her. I think in our universe she is sadly dead, but in Jim Kirk's war with the Romulans universe, she is alive and well, and negotiating with Sarek to build a treaty between Vulcan and United Earth, while her good friends Philippa Giorgio and Gabriel Lorca casually brainstorm a little bit of a way to genocide some Romulans. They're not going to do it. They tell themselves they're joking, but they're also like, hey, is there a way we could, like, make their son go supernova? Yeah. Okay, that's good. But now that you just said that, we see Spock. Mm-hmm. We do. And he's he's in the Vulcan. Yeah, yeah. I... If Earth and Vulcan aren't friends. Well, that doesn't mean that there's no contact between them. Maybe you know, some human refugees or people have come to Earth. Maybe Amanda was part of a delegation to open talks between mm-hmm. the humans and the Vulcans and she and Sarek really hit it off and it was a major scandal, but, you know. Okay. Yeah. So the Earth people don't like her is what you're saying. She's exiled on Vulcan. I think exiled is and a that's strong why word. Bach has to be a Vulcan captain. Yes. Yes. I think that governments are one thing and people are always another. And so just because the Vulcan and human governments aren't necessarily good friends or even close allies doesn't mean that there's not a lot of friendly contact between humans and Vulcans. I suppose that uh, Kirk was in jail with a, with a Vulcan. Yeah, yeah. That was friendly. And I assume Una is off being a normal, healthy, happy Illyrian. She's not with any of those people. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't we don't need any of you guys. Go fight your war. Yeah. She's married to Nira on their nebula planet going, hey, have you heard the news from the Vulcan human Romulan war? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music at antimatterpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at AntimatterPod, and on Mastodon at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And if you are a new listener, welcome. Join us next week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Strange New World Season 3, Among the Lotus Eaters.